You're listening to The Big Show with Patrick Dumas on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Big Show Hour 4 continuing on your Tuesday morning, live from Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. Worried about radon? We install custom mitigation systems to reduce your risk. To find out more, visit dlbasementsystems.com for a free estimate. It's Calgary Flames game day. They are back at home tonight at the Scotiabank Saddledome, taking on the Minnesota Wild. It'll be a 7 o'clock puck drop right here on Sportsnet 960. The fan, Derek Wills and Corey Sarge on the call for that one. Uh, still waiting on an update for uh, from Jacob Markstrom as he left practice yesterday after uh, taking something off his uh, blocker hand there. There was blood. wasn't a good scene. So uh, as you heard from Eric Francis earlier on, wouldn't be surprised if we see Dustin Wolf uh, being called up here within the next uh, half hour or so. Welcome to the big show. And we go down the Atlas Bar, Atlas Pizza, and Guest Bar, Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar Guest Hotline. Jeez, GBP. Uh, and we're joined by Jesse Pierce, Minnesota Wild writer over at NHL.com and of the Bar Down Beauties podcast. Jesse, thanks so much for joining me this morning. Hey, no problem, guys. Thanks for having me. Hey, uh, thank you. Uh, yeah, the Minnesota Wild, they had a, a tough start, obviously, to the season. They they fire head coach Dean Evison and uh, coach, coach bump or not, John Hines has taken the Wild by the scruff of the neck and has them playing some really good hockey. 3-0 and uh, since taking over, only three goals against. What uh, have you seen in your eyes that has seen the Wild, uh, you know, get away from uh, the losing a bit at the start of the year? I mean, clearly they just needed to hear it from a different coach because I don't know that John Hines has really changed a heck of a whole lot. I mean, systems-wise, he came in right yeah. ahead of that St. Louis Blues game to turn those things around. So he hasn't had a whole lot of time to really put his thumbprint on it. That being said, he has had a little bit of a speed element. You're seeing the Minnesota Wild really break out of the zone, finally, something that they haven't done all the way the season up until this point. So there's a little bit more of a speed factor, and I think – the players have finally found that confidence. Bill Guerin, after firing Dean Evison, had mentioned the team was missing that it factor and the it factor being that swagger. Mm-hmm. And that's going to happen when your top scorers aren't producing and when you're getting scored on you know, each and every night a couple goals a game. Um, I think before John Hines and the Wild were averaging uh, four and a half goals allowed in each game. And now, as you had mentioned, only to allow three in their past three wins is pretty remarkable. So I think it's just finding that confidence for a lot of those players and playing the hockey that they were truly capable of playing but just hadn't at mm-hmm. the beginning of the year. Why did it go wrong for Dean Evison? Was it as simple as just the, the, the top guys weren't going? Because it feels similar to what Edmonton, what Edmonton had to do with Jay Woodcroft. wasn't entirely the head coach's fault, but victim of circumstance as you can't really fire the players. Exactly it. I mean, even though, you know, you can't trade your way out of problems regardless, but especially with this Minnesota Wild team where there's no salary uh, available to go get anybody. Um, So a lot of it is, I think they just needed to make that change. I don't think it was Dean Evison. I don't think that he necessarily lost control of Mm -hmm. the room. And I think the guys respected him plenty. I just think they weren't able to get themselves going. They were kind of so stuck in the mud that they just didn't know what to do. And and a new coach will have you feeling guilty, right? I mean, it was their fault that Dean Evson lost his job. So I think there's that guilt factor. And then I think there's just finally that enough is enough. We need to step it up. And they certainly have done that for John Hines. Uh, The the penalty kill, I'm sure, has been a a hot button issue for you guys in the media down there in in Minnesota. Just obviously 32nd in the league, 70%. You don't need to hear it from me but is it's obviously putting the team at an advantage you know you're getting behind it and then obviously that goal is going in and it's getting you behind the eight ball is there is there a certain change that to the penalty kill that John Hines wants to institute here 
Oh, was it a problem? I wasn't. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, I mean, it's been the most glaring issue, right? It was. It was absolutely awful to see. Half the time we would joke, let's just decline and give them the goal. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. at this point, they were scoring power play goal after power play goal. Um, no, I think John Hines really is just going to switch up some of the players. That includes putting maybe Brock Favor on that top penalty unit. That includes trying some different players. You know, right or wrong, Dean Evson seemed very married to some of the systems that he had in place for the past couple of years. He seemed very married to some of his lines and some of his units. And John Hines gets to come in with a fresh slate and say, hey, you know what, this wasn't working. Let's try something new. Um, so I think that's really going to bode well. I think in addition, the defense in general, just stepping up and playing better is going to help mm-hmm. in a lot of facets, but especially putting those top defensemen on that PK is, is going to work really well. Is is like the loss, like I know that we would, like Zach Bogosian has been like how he's been around the last few years. He's kind of been that sixth, seventh defenseman, uh, been more of a reliable body, but he's been playing on teams of, of, you know, he's been with Tampa Bay. It's been teams that are going deep in the playoffs. Is is his loss uh, kind of messing this up or is this, is was he always kind of like the seventh defenseman for the Wild? Um, you know, that's a great question. And obviously he's day to day. So possibility that he slots back in tonight, we'll have to see, but you know, John Merrill has had a really tough stretch of the year. So I think that's where the loss of Zach Bogosian mm. is going to be more crucial is just because John Merrill has kind of made some pretty egregious mistakes, a lot of mistakes that have even led to the game-winning goals for the opposition. So that's been definitely tough. So Bogosian certainly found himself a more solid role as that bottom D pair. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, it's just kind of a question of can John Merrill erase some of the, the problems he's had so far this season and solidify his spot as the uh, the other defenseman there on that bottom pair with Alex Goligoski. Obviously, having uh, defensive uh, zone coverage issues can lead to having goaltending issues. And if Gustafson and Marc-Andre Fleury aren't making the big saves, it's going to obviously see them have, you know, say, percentages in the 800s and the goals against above three. Is it? This is. It was a big year for Philip Gustafson last year. He he got the the bridge deal. You know, the three years, eleven million, what whatever it was there. And then you've got Mark Andre Fleury, the the thirty nine year old, bless his heart, but he's not the flower of the past. And he's just you know three games away from a thousand to become the fourth ever goalie to play a thousand games in the NHL. What's your what's your make with the goaltending situation down in St. Paul? Yeah, I mean, certainly when you have defensive holes like the Minnesota Wild have, your goaltending is going to not look so great either. And, and goaltending was an issue. I mean, the big question for Philip Gustafson coming into the season was, is he going to regress? Can he handle a starter's load? I mean, Marc-Andre Fleury very much entered the season knowing that he was going to be the backup. It was no mm-hmm. longer probably a 1A, 1B situation as Minnesota has rolled out the past couple seasons. It was definitely going to be Philip Gustafson's net and uh, Marc-Andre Fleury was going to come in as needed. Unfortunately, Gus was struggling. He wasn't seeing the puck quite as well. His reactionary time seemed a little down. And again, part of that's probably because he's not used to playing as consistently as the Minnesota Wilds were going to rely on him. But good news is, for some reason, John Hines has also affected that change as well because it certainly seems that the past couple games, Philip Gustafson, you know, you go back to the Nashville game where they handily beat the Predators, that was a great game for Gus. And Marc-Andre Fleury did outstanding, uh, especially when the penalty kill didn't really stand up to snuff the other night in St. Paul. So both goaltenders kind of finding their groove. Again, I anticipate Philip Gustafson yeah. to still get the lion's share of starts this year. I know he'll start in Calgary this evening. Um, but, you know, I think that's on the trajectory up and up as well. Gustafson, 3-0-1 in five games with the goals against a 0.88 and a save percentage of 970 against the Flames. So uh, he's a pretty good matchup uh, for them uh, tonight. Uh, 
Kirill Kaprizov, uh, maybe this uh, a slower start than uh, what we're used to him, at least in the goal department. You know, well below his pace of forty he hit last year, and you know, and, and, like he had the big you know, a big point drop off last year as well. But the injuries were there. Uh, he was banged up for a chunk of it as well. But what have you seen with, with Kirill Kaprizov? Is he starting to try to find that 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 next uh, next level, or is it like, hey, you know, maybe he's not that hundred ten point guy that we 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 got a couple of years ago? I mean, it's certainly those questions have been circulating. People are wondering what's going on. It wasn't just the lack of production for Kirill Kaprizov because certainly he kind of struggled out the gate to find the score sheet last year as well. But it was his skating looked a little off. It was these turnovers in the neutral zone that you weren't accustomed to seeing from Kirill Kaprizov, who is the superstar in the National Hockey League. And interestingly enough, last year he was hurt before the playoffs, and Dean Evson recently came out, including on the Bardom Beauties podcast, uh, just released today, saying, he believes that there was some nagging from that injury hanging over for Kirill Kaprizov. He spent mm-hmm. a lot more of the offseason probably rehabbing and getting better from that injury uh, sustained in Winnipeg. And then moving forward into this year, just hadn't felt himself, hadn't gotten the skating that he was used to. Good news is it seems things are looking a little bit better. Again, the past few games, and I would go even before John Hines came, um, Kirill skating and edge work has looked more like the Kirill Kaprizov that everybody knows and loves. So I think, the goals are going to come. The good news is that top line is rolling. Matt Zuccarello and Marco Rossi have really picked up where Kirill Kaprizov maybe hasn't. But yeah. obviously Kirill is a huge part of that, and he's a huge part of this team. So it's going to be a very positive thing for the Wild moving forward when he does finally start finding the back of the net. Now, I, I don't know off the top of my head who Kaprizov was playing with uh, majority of last year, but how is he playing with, with Marco Rossi, who's obviously uh, the Wilds, you know, like right there with Matthew Boldy as, as a top young player that they want to see become a superstar and then Matt Zuccarello who's uh you know 36 years old he's having probably his best start to a season uh that he's ever had so uh, how's he working with those two uh, Matt Zuccarello has found some fountain of youth when it comes to his career I cannot <laughs> figure that out to save my life because we have gotten some of the best years of, of Zuki here in Minnesota which is kind of surprising as you mentioned at, at 36 but I think having Kirill and Matt Zuccarello along with Marco Rossi, it helps all players. It gives Marco Rossi that huge opportunity that he has warranted, that he needs in order to become this number one center that the Minnesota Wild pegged him as when they drafted him ninth overall. Um, so having that veteran presence around him, I think is good. But then Kirill and, and Matt have really found a confidence in Marco. Marco's really stepped up his game. He spent all offseason in Minnesota working on, you know, becoming that player that Bill Guerin and Brass had wanted him to be. And he's certainly proven that. So I think together, the three of them, within their skill and within their tenacity too, I think that's another really big thing about Marco Rossi's game is his net front front presence and something that he didn't really have, this physicality that he was kind of missing the past couple seasons when Minnesota was looking to him has really helped improve. So I think together, the three of them, no question, Minnesota's best line moving forward. Uh, we're chatting with Jesse Pierce, uh, Minnesota Wild writer over at NHL.com and uh, Bar Down Beauty's podcast. Uh, we'll keep it on on Marco Rossi. You know, he was a player that, that fascinated me coming out uh, his draft year, and I'm always going to give the guys that were drafted during the pandemic that 2020 draft year a little bit of you know grain of salt with how their production and how their you know their their leveling up into getting becoming a pro is. And, you know, he had uh, he had some bad luck coming over. He was sick, I remember, for quite a while. He he, inter- he played really well with Iowa, but what is he, what have you seen with Marco Rossi this year that made him like, hey, I can be this number one center that the Wild thought I could be back in 2020? I mean, I think it started, he added 15 pounds in the offseason, so he came into camp just 
much, much bigger, which is important, especially when you have that center position there. Um, in addition, he's found a confidence. I know that's kind of the buzzword, but it truly is. He's finally playing like a player with confidence. The past couple stints that you saw, the couple games that you've seen him in a Minnesota Wild jersey, he didn't have that. And then he would go down to the American Hockey League and perform incredibly yeah. well. So there were a lot of questions. There was a lot of concern. Like, is he going to be this NHL caliber person? And I think with his dedication and commitment, he's proven that he is. I know a lot a lot of wild fans, a lot of wild media uh, had questioned, you know, is he going to be a bust? Is this not going to work out? Because there has been so much conversation around him. And this year he's kind of telling everybody, hey, look at me now. I mean, he's putting himself in contention and, and conversation, at least for one of the better rookies of this uh, of this NHL yeah. season, which is saying quite a bit considering the, the names out there. Um, but yeah, it's just, I think he needed that confidence. I think after his bout with, uh, with COVID and kind of the, the issues that had set him back, he just needed that time to develop, to find that confidence and, and to get the opportunity. Again, I think it's huge to see him have the opportunity to play on that top line where before he maybe was kind of buried down lower on, you know, the third or fourth line. And, and he's proving himself to be a number one center for sure. Yeah. Marco Rossi second on the team with, uh, eight goals trailing only, uh, Joel Erickson Eck. Uh, this year and next year, and then the buyouts for Ryan Suter and Zach Parisi won't look so bad. What can Bill Guerin do right now with this club? He, I know he's essentially strapped until, you know, some other things take place. But, you know, the Wild have, have kind of dug themselves out of a hole. I mean, it's still, you know, not not the greatest odds right now. Still seven points out of the, uh, the final playoff spot. But what what is the plan maybe going into the the uh, the second half of the season here with with uh, with the Minnesota Wild and Bill Guerin, like, is there going to be wanting to be some movement uh, with with Guerin, depending on how the Wild play, or is it just kind of still wait and see? And this is kind of the roster we've got until next year when we can have some cap relief. I mean, that's a big question. I mean, Bill Guerin, I think, certainly knew that the buyouts were going to be tough. They were going to tie a couple hands behind their backs, but I don't know if he recognized just how tough it can be right now. Minnesota Wild is so broke that it's very hard to yeah. even recall players from Iowa. So it's going to be really hard for Bill Guerin to make any moves, especially with a lot of players having no moves and no trades within their contract as well. So it kind of limits what he's going to be able to do. That all being said, Bill Guerin has been a magician of wondrous proportions. He has been able to pull a rabbit out of his hat more times than not, especially at trade (laughs) deadline. So I'd be curious. I just think it'll be very difficult for him to do a heck of a whole lot. But again, I never count out Billy G because he is, he has something else. He's been a fun GM to cover. I think it was Michael Russo from the Athletic. He had the the in his article talking about how the exit went with Garen and Evison. Uh, there was like, "Are you firing me, bud?" <laughs> is that the type? Of, it was just, <laughs> yeah, just such that's, a thing. That's the kind from, of guy he is. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then they had the the hug and the the tears. Yeah, that was that was certainly a, a tough one, I'm sure. But uh, talk about uh, just last one for you, Jesse. Just talk about the fans there in Minnesota. It's the, you know the state of hockey. Loyal, knowledgeable, 23 years now in that market. What's their level of patience right now? You know, it's a team that, you know, has made one conference final in their in their history, and it was really early on. Um, not a lot of playoff success. And then, but now you're starting to see them get out of that old, you know, Jacques Lemaire type uh, a while that they were when they came into the league. What's the fan base, you know, temperature check, I guess. I, I like doing this with, with the markets. We don't get to talk too much. 
You know, Patience is not in a Minnesota sports fan. No, I know the Vikings. Vikings, the Timberwolves. It's a a tough draw to be uh, born into the Minnesota sports fan base, that's for sure. Um, But when it comes to hockey, you know, it is a very prideful thing here in Minnesota. It's very Canadian-like. It's a very knowledgeable state. It it loves it. So the Patience has worn thin, certainly to say the least. But I think Bill Guerin has done such a good job of being so transparent and communicative with the fan base, letting them know, hey, these buyouts are going to be good. Because if you guys remember, the parade route was planned when uh, Zach Friese and Ryan Suter were signed to those 13-year contracts mm-hmm. back in the day. And Bill Guerin had to com- you know, convince the fan base this is going to be better. He had to convince them that Marco Rossi is going to be a superstar. Matt Boldy is the way of the future. Our prospects are who we think they are. And so far, he's been pretty accurate on that. It's taken a little bit of time. And again, I think you have about a 50-50 shot of the fan base understanding that and the other 50 saying, no, we want to go and win a Stanley Cup. We need this. We absolutely do. But I think the realist is the realistic uh, vision is, you know what, in a couple of years, this is going to be a really good team to look out for and one yeah. that can actually make a want run. Hopefully that would start sooner rather than later, and that starts with getting out of that first round, which has been the uh, red mark on Minnesota Wild for quite some time. But it's it's exciting. It's an exciting time. You know, it's not a rebuild. It's a regrouping, and we'll see what happens moving forward. Yeah, and the Central Division may be playing a lot uh, better than uh, people expected uh, to start the year with Arizona coming out the gate the way they have, and St. Louis playing a little bit better. It's it's a tough group, but yeah, looking looking forward to see what the Wild can do over the next couple of years once they can get out of those uh, Parise and Suter deals. Uh, Jesse, where can we find all your work? I know you do a lot of stuff at NHL.com. You got the Bar Down Beauties podcast. Anything else you want to plug? No, follow me on Twitter at Jesse, J-E-S-S-I underscore Pierce, P-I-E-R-C-E. Um, I usually link to everything there. And new episode of Bar Down Beauties with Dean Evson released today. We had some fun and uh, got to the bottom of some very important questions with Mr. Evson as he looks for his next NHL gig. That'll be a good listen, Jesse. Thank you so much. Enjoy the game tonight. All right. Thanks. You too. There you go. There's uh, there's Jesse Pierce, uh, Minnesota Wild Rider, over at NHL.com and the Bar Down Beauties podcast. You can check their interview out with uh, Dean Evison today. It is a Calgary Flames game day. They welcome the Wild to the Scotiabank Saddle Dome tonight. It's a 7 o'clock, 7 o'clock puck drop with Derek Wills and Corey Sarge right here on Sportsnet 960, the fan. Uh, before we hit the great break, I want to play this uh, scrum from yesterday, Ryan Huska, following uh, practice yesterday. Okay, so, I mean, is there anything you can share with us on Jacob Markstrom? No, he, he's going to get evaluated. Uh, I didn't have a chance to see him or, or meet with him before he before I got off the ice, so I, I don't have anything further, yeah. And did you see the play that, that happened? Or? Um, I saw him try to make a save, but from that point, I don't, I didn't really know what, what was going on, yeah. Probably wonder anything until tomorrow at the earliest, it seems. I, yeah, I'm not sure. As I said, he's gone to get looked at, and um, we'll have to go from there. Yeah. Coach, what would be the uh, items on the top of your list to clean up from last game's performance? Uh, we talked to. We want to try to get ourselves to a point where we're playing with leads. Like we like the way we're starting games, but we have to play with the lead. And I think it's 10 of 12 where we've given up the first goal in a game, and. Um, we want to flip that script. I think that's one big thing for us. And then I think the other thing is handling pressure and executing under it. That's something with the teams that we're playing here that are coming up. They're all high-pressure teams. They'll make you have to make plays um, with someone in your face. And I don't think in the first period against Vancouver we handled that well, so it's something we'll have to improve on. I asked Amanda 
Japan. He just about playing a little bit less later in the game, and he said, "Look, I, I, I wasn't playing very well. I get it. I was back to work. That's that's pretty much the response you want from a guy from that situation." Totally. Like you, he's at the point in his career where he's got to bring people along with him. So he's got to set a standard for how he plays consistently, and he's got an identity to him. Um, when he's at his best, he's he's. He's a pest. He's hard to play against. He's always on the puck when he's at his very best. So he needs to do that consistently so other guys see him do it now. So he's not the young guy anymore. Uh, Andrew's a guy that has to bring people along with him. I assume that playing like a bit of a pest, I mean, that's, that's a specific mentality that you have to have that, you know, can you manufacture it? I mean, how do you how do you get there, do you think? No, I, I think it's in him. Like, that's why he's had success, like, all the way along. People have told him, yeah, you, you're probably not good enough to play, but he's like, I'll do whatever I have to do to play. I don't care if um, this guy's bigger or he's smaller. Like that, That's his makeup. And when he's at his best, we know that's when he's effective. So we're fully expecting that from him tomorrow. From the last game, uh, not to get really specific here, but on that first power play goal, there's a very specific moment where Connor Zary is working to keep the puck in the offensive zone, yeah. and he's fending off a player behind him. I was just curious what you thought of, of that play and the work that Connor did to keep that play alive and, and ultimately lead to a power play goal. Yeah, gr great job on his part protecting the puck for sure. I, the part that we liked more was how quickly we got it to the net after that. So he did a good job of keeping it um, in the zone for sure and protecting it well. But then it was very quick where we were able to beat the penalty kill when they're moving side to side. Um, and that's how you beat penalty kills. It's If you're going to be stagnant and stand around, you're not going to beat them. But when you get a step on them like we did in that situation, the guys executed really well. What growth have you seen in Jonathan Huberdeau's game this season? Um, I find a, a more competitive guy on the puck. Um, I, I feel like his work ethic from the start of the year to where we are now has gotten much better. And because of that, I think you're seeing more composure, confidence with the plays he's making with the puck. What has um, Yegor added to that power play unit? Have you, have you felt like he's added a, a little yep. bit of an extra element? Yeah, and you know, he's a shot threat. Um, and we want them to move around. We want them to have different spots. But when he gets over there, he knows that one of the things we want him to do is shoot the puck. So he's done that. So he tries to put himself in situations and positions where he's ready to shoot. Because um, he is one of our better players in regards to one-timing a puck. So um, that's where we think he's effective there. But the second thing is he can carry a puck into the zone. So he works well with Elias going back. Um, our entries have been better the last three games since he's been a part of that, uh, and hopefully that can continue. There you go. There's uh, coach, head coach Ryan Huska after practice yesterday. Yeah, we should find out more on Jacob Markstrom's status uh, hopefully soon here as he uh, obviously left practice yesterday. Uh, around the corner, we're going to talk with Brock McGillis and listen to his story. It's a, it's a wonderful story. If you caught it on Jeff Merrick's show a, a few weeks back, uh, be tuned. It's going to be a good one here. Uh, Brock McGillis joins me next as Big Show Hour 4 continues here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Hour 4 of the Big Show continues here for live from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. Cracked foundation, Boeing foundation walls. We have a simple, permanent solution to stabilize your foundation. Contact Basement Systems. They are all things basement -y. Visit dlbasementsystems.com. Final half hour of the program and uh, joined in studio uh, by Brock McGillis, former uh, professional hockey player, culture shock tour, and the first openly gay professional hockey player uh, joining me in studio. Brock, uh, thank you so much for uh, taking time out of your morning. Uh, you're doing a cross-country tour. We're going to talk about it all, but uh, thank you for joining me. 
Hey, my pleasure. Happy to be here. Yeah. Uh, so first off, uh, the Culture Shift tour that you're uh, that you're on right now, you're going around uh, the seven Canadian markets in in the in Canada, talking with uh, high school aged players about changing the culture in hockey. And we know it's such a big topic uh, with uh, with with it, with its gender, color of your skin, your sexual orientation, anything. It is such a big part of just professional sports now. Uh, what is the Culture Shift tour trying to do? Uh, to, uh, with kids uh, in in our city and across the country. Oh, I thought I was here to talk about the Flames. <laughs> <laughs> you want to talk Flames? <laughs> no, I'm good. Um, no, no, the tour, the whole goal is to create welcoming environments for everybody. Mm-hmm. I don't care if it's, you know, I use my story as kind of a gateway mm-hmm. to talk about different things and, and becoming shift makers and creating welcoming environments. And that transcends LGBTQ+. That's for... BIPOC, women, disabled people. That's for the mm-hmm. straight white kid who yep. doesn't feel like he can fit in in the locker room. It's for everyone. Uh, now, the, I mentioned the high school aged uh, is is the, 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 the group of kids you're actually going to be talking to. What is the importance of that age group? Like, it, it is a very influential age group, and I'm sure that's probably why you're hitting it up. Well, part of the reason why we picked that is because I was concerned about protesters if I went younger and being called a groomer. That's fair. Um, sadly. Um, because I think, you know, 12 and up would be ideal, mm-hmm. but today's society, uh, ultimately that age though is pretty influential. They're, mm-hmm. they're on that, you know, cusp of going junior, mm-hmm. major junior, NCAA, et cetera. And they still influence younger kids. So they are quite influential in the hockey ecosystem. Mm-hmm. They are arguably as if not more influential than NHL players because they're accessible. Yeah, I equate elite um, high school age players to being like an Instagram influencer or a YouTuber. They're famous because they're good, but they're accessible. They're yeah. your neighbor. So the way they talk, the way they act, the way they dress is then copied by younger players and their peers who may not be at the higher levels, etc. I know it's it's still it's tough to gauge right now because it is a lot of this has been brought to the forefront very quickly with a lot of people. And, and I know a lot of people aren't there. They get their back up, backs up against the wall. They're not ready for this talk, but like, how do you feel the culture has shifted in the last, I don't know, five years or so. Um, and to your first point, they may not feel ready for it. I think a lot of people come in a little hesitant, but mm-hmm. we just have fun. Yeah. Like, yeah, we're talking about inclusion, but this stuff doesn't have to be so rigid and serious. Exactly. We can have a good time. We can laugh. I tell jokes. I make it a good time in a relaxing environment, and then everyone starts to engage and talk. Mm-hmm. Um, has the culture evolved? Yeah. Kids today are far more inclusive, far more progressive in their views. I just don't think their language has caught up to their thoughts, mm-hmm. and that's where the you know the gap is. We, we need to fix the language, the behaviors, the attitudes, because... In theory, they're all welcoming of a gay teammate or somebody who's different than they are. Talk to me about your story. Uh, obviously, growing up in a, in a time where this wasn't, you know, welcomed around, you know, locker rooms or whatnot. You know, people weren't welcomed with the with the wide, you know, with hugs and arms and of of people caring about this type of stuff. And and you grew up in a tough time. Talk about your story. Yeah, I I mean. I suppressed who I was. I adhered to the norms of the culture, the um, air quotes stereotype of a hockey player. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, I'm ashamed to admit it, a womanizer. I was cocky. I walked into a room like I owned it. I thought I was so sweet and 
everyone around me thought I had this great life. I mean, I was 16 years old, getting my friends into clubs, bypassing lines. Like, like they thought it was pretty awesome. What they didn't know is I go home to my billet's house or whatnot, and I cry. I, I hated myself. Uh, frankly, I wanted to die and try to on more than one occasion. And it was because of the language I heard daily. Yeah, It beat me down. It made me feel like, and it wasn't even necessarily directed at me, but it made me feel like I couldn't be me and play the sport I love. And when you get to a certain point in hockey, it becomes your whole identity, sadly. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was really wrestling with that. By 18, I started drinking heavily. I drank every day from 18 to 23. I went from being on NHL draft list to you know constantly hurt depressed, self-harming, drinking, and all of a sudden I was in the minors. And it uh, took a real toll on me. Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, what was like the maybe the, the, the come-to moment that maybe you said, hey, I'm me, I can be me. Who, who cares what everyone else thinks? Like, I'm going to be me. I'm not, I don't want to feel this, this sad, the self-harm, the drinking. I don't want to feel sick anymore. I want to just open up. I want to be me. When was that come-to moment for you? There was a few. The first one happened, I was playing in the minors in Europe, and I sat myself down one day, and I was still drinking, I was really struggling, and I said, man, you need to figure this out, because I knew two things were going to happen. Mm. If I didn't figure it out, my hockey career was going to end, and number two, and most importantly, I was probably going to end up dead. Um, I came back from that season, and I decided to figure out if I was gay, and I went on a date with a guy. And I dated him for three years without a soul knowing. So it actually got worse, because now I was closeted i was hiding who i was and i was hiding him we had an alias so his friends couldn't find me on social media Mm. and right after that um i became friends with brendan burke yes uh he had just come out i reached out to him the day he came out and we talked every day and it was such a relief because you know he had brian and this truculent hockey family and he had gay friends but he didn't have anyone who understood both sides and i had nobody Mm -hmm. so we talked daily, and then one day he sent me a message and said, I can't wait for the day that you're out to your family like I am to mine. And I didn't answer him. I knew my family was inclusive and supportive, but yeah. they were so involved in hockey. Of course. I thought they would stand up to the language and jeopardize my career. And I didn't answer Brendan. Well, those ended up being the last words he ever said to me. Two days later, he passed away in a car accident. And I came out to my family and friends to honor him. Mm-hmm. And so that was that next step. And then I came out publicly in uh, when I was 33, just because of some things that had happened in my personal life. I just thought it was time. Yeah. And um, yeah, I, I came out to the world. How, how big of an ally is Brian Burke in this community? Like Brian Burke, you, you get the gruff, the appearance, you know, that guy can't be that way. But He's a teddy bear. Brian Burke is a, is, a, is a beautiful man. Just talk about how big of an ally he is for, you know, with, with you can play and all that. Brian gives me, you know, goosebumps thinking about it because, I mean, the willingness to stand up and be so vocal mm-hmm. is not something you see all the time, especially amongst straight, masculine, rugged men yep. like Brian. And having somebody like that willing to stand up and take the beatings on social media and everywhere else, um, I think is pretty spectacular. And I, I wonder, part of me wonders if it's his way to keep, you know, Brendan alive yeah. and, and in his memory. But also, I don't think he wants anyone to struggle the way Brendan may have or the way I may have. And, and he's just a good guy. Yeah. 
He's a, he's a, he's a, he is. He exactly is. Um, Jake DeBrusque, he had the, the pride tape there on his stick a couple of nights ago and the, the whole NHL essentially turning back the clock for all the bad, eliminating any sort of uh, inclusive act. I know that left a sour taste in, in, in my mouth, but I, you know, I'm not a gay man. I'm not, I'm not a black person. You know, I'm not, you know, involved yeah. in any of these things. Just how, how is it received amongst your community? Is it just like, man, like, come on. Like, or is it just like, hey, whatever, let's just keep powering through? Well, I joke now that it was uh, a two-week vacation from inclusion by the <laughs> league. Like, it's, you know, but ultimately, uh, they, uh, my my biggest thing is, listen, I, I haven't seen a rainbow eradicate homophobia yeah. yet. So I'm, I love actual tangible work. Mm -hmm. Visibility is important. Um for me, I didn't care when players didn't wear jerseys. That's that's their choice. I wish they were making informed decisions. I understand the Russian players being afraid to go back home. I get that. But for the rest of them, I wish they recognized the impact of their decision before making it because I don't know that if they would make that decision. But it's their choice. Yep. No different than with the tape. It should be freedom of choice. If players want to use it, it's a simple way for players to go, hey, I support this community without having to go out in the media and talk about it and maybe say the wrong thing. You know, it's, it's simple and easy. So it, it was, uh, I think they lost fans, sadly. Yeah. I think they pushed people away from the sport. And the reality is in America, their target demos, the people watching hockey are Gen Z and millennial, and yep. they're pretty progressive. So. Very. Um, I heard you on, I, when we talked to you off air, we, uh, we, we heard you on the Merrick show uh, a few weeks back. He brought up Luke Prokop. Uh, currently in the Nashville organization, spent some time in our city with the Hitmen. Uh, you know, I remember when he came out a couple of years ago, that was a big day. That was a huge day around these parts. And, you know, talk to us a little about Luke's story. Uh, because, you know, I think, you know, he Jeff brought up the point that maybe somebody needs to be that first one to be, you know, a, a predominant name to to help out everybody else. And I don't know what you, what you and Bane Pettinger and, and everybody else is doing, but but having Luke at a, at a high level of playing hockey right now, what, what about his story? Luke's a special kid. I, I was working with Luke for a month or two prior to him coming out, and uh, we I, we have an interesting bond. You know, there there are very few of us. Yeah. And having the ability to work with him, get to know him, and, and form that friendship and bond was pretty special. I mean, to come out at that age and unapologetically be yourself in a space that traditionally isn't welcoming of people who are different is pretty remarkable mm -hmm. and uh a testament to him a testament to his family he's he's a very special kid and, and listen i i hope he makes the nhl and goes on to have a great career but uh, to put that pressure on a 21 yeah. year old it's kid fair. is not fair and that's why there's people like me and people like bane who are you know on the ground doing yeah. the work because luke should just worry about playing. worry about his job and and you know what the rest will take care of itself. Um, a parent or a coach that might be you know, listening in the car at work or at work or whatnot right now, uh, and their kid is going to be a part of uh, one of your your sessions or whatnot. What what are they going to hear from you? I'm going to humanize the lived experience of being a gay man in these locker rooms and the impact on the language, behaviors, attitudes, and then we do something really cool where we talk about being a shift maker, how you could shift the culture for anyone, pick the topic, racism, homophobia, sexism, ableism, mental health, doesn't matter what it is. You can do something small and small shifts 
have ripple effects. Mm. One hockey player, when I was done playing, I was working with athletes, told another hockey player in Sudbury, Ontario, we don't say that here when he said something homophobic, give me 50 push-ups. That had a ripple effect. That's the reason why I'm here with you right now. So I talked to them about how they can create shifts. And then we do a breakout. The last one we do is really cool. It's on conformity. Hockey players dress the same, talk the same, walk the same. I can pick out a hockey player anywhere. Yeah. Um, so I'm like, tell me something. You, you all say you're family, your brothers, yet all you talk about are women, video games, partying, and sports. Tell me something you wouldn't tell a teammate you enjoy. Because if that's your family or your brothers, mm-hmm. they should know more about you. Yeah. And they share cool things like... Um, I was in with a team and two kids said they like baking. We, the team had an incident right before we got there that a player came up to me to talk about. And he said, I empowered him to want to share how it made him feel. I'm like, okay, I'll come in with you. So we went back in with that team at a practice and the two kids said they like baking, both brought me cookies. <laughs> um, a team, we worked with eight teams last night and one of the U17 AAA teams, a player said he makes candles. Yeah. And six of the players <laughs> sell the candles, like, throughout the city. Wow. Yeah, it's called Two Cents YYC on Instagram, Cents, like, smell. And um, they ended up selling me five candles. But I've never heard things like this in the sport. Guys talking about how they like writing poetry or reading books. And the more they can bring their whole selves to the rink, the less likely they are to judge others who can't conform to the culture or are different than the culture. So we do a lot of that and then we just take questions and we make it fun and light. It's not that deep. We can, you know, have fun and engage and, and learn and grow. So you've been in Calgary now since the 28th of November, I yes. think you have. So yeah. you're here for one more day. Uh, how many students or how many, sorry, how many uh, kids have you talked to uh, since coming to Calgary? About 15 teams. Um, so probably 15 to 20 kids per team. Wow. And then, some coaches and parents and staff and whatnot. It's yeah, it's been it's been pretty cool. I I really like Calgary. Yeah, you have yeah. a sneaky restaurant scene here. It's it's, it's growing. It's, it's it's good. It's been good, man. Like it's you know it was a tough time coming out of the pandemic, but there's been a lot of these like new little spots, like different types from different cultures and everything. Oh, it's yeah. not just a steakhouse or whatnot. No. It's it's so cool. Like uh, Major Tom is a is a popular one. Uh, Milk Tiger. It was. I think it's still open, but yeah. Either way, uh, yeah. What have you tried any? Of, which one's your favorite? Uh, Ten Foot Henry's. Okay, yes. And Eden. Eden. Okay, I haven't tried Eden. Unreal. Yeah, go there. It's really okay. good. And and thanks for the weather. Calgary. Oh yeah, I, I yeah. appreciate you doing this for <laughs> me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no. Uh, Fifteen degrees today. A couple golf courses open, uh, and then snow t- by Thursday. Uh, that's typical, typical Calgary. <laughs> uh, what's coming up? You've been on the road since November fifteenth. Your tour started in Vancouver. Uh, you've got you're gonna run till Christmas, and then you pick it up on the eastern side yeah. after Christmas. Yeah. So uh, we head to Edmonton tomorrow there for a week and then off to Winnipeg until the holidays and then the new year start in Montreal Jan 3 and then Ottawa and finish up in Toronto and then hopefully next year we expand beyond the major markets yeah. and get further east get further north and all over the map. Uh, is there any uh, any I know I'm not sure this is uh, you've got a, a lot of help getting you to this point to help you travel around anybody you want to thank uh, to, to getting you to this point? Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, first and foremost, the, the tour sponsors. I mean, Jumpstart, Skip the Dishes, Scotiabank, the Carnegie Initiative, Access Storage, Air Canada, the NHL, the Leafs and MLSE, um, Gatorade Canada and the GTHL, like huge. I have um, 
my tour manager, Dom Granado, um, son of Tony and um, very nice nephew of Don and Cammy. So very cool to get to travel around the country with him, my management, Cimarroni. And it's <clears throat> it's been a really wonderful experience. It's been a grind. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know what sleep is, but we're making it work. So. In the end, I know that you're 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 gonna hit, you're hopefully gonna hit. If you hit one, two, that's great. You're not gonna obviously, you know. There's gonna be people that aren't gonna take it, obviously. But what is the end goal uh, in in the culture shift tour that you want you want to see done throughout this? Because I know it, it, sports for me growing up, I, I didn't play a lot of them. I played football. That was about my only sport. I didn't play hockey, and I, I hear a lot of the hockey culture and, and what it is, and it, it is a toxic toxic environment in, in many places. But in the end, what do you want to see this this tour achieve? If we create shift makers, like I can't be in every locker room daily, Mm -hmm. but if we get players to recognize, I I think people are good. Yeah. I truly do. And I think if they know the impact they're having, they're going to switch their behaviors. They don't want to hurt people. They don't want to hurt their friends, their teammates, et cetera. So if we can shift the language, um, if we, if I can be a resource for people that may be struggling, whether it's sexuality or something else, we had uh, an incident of xenophobia that happened and anti-Semitism mm-hmm. that we worked with a team on and, and helped empower a kid. Um, there's been, because that's the thing like, like with, with, with current events that pop up, you know, you mentioned the, the, the anti-Semitism and everything. It's just it, around the world. It's, it's always, you, you got to evolve with this like constantly. Totally. And, and so to be a resource for these players, for coaches and stuff, I mean, we've had closeted coaches come out and, and just, pull me aside and go, Hey, like, you know, I'm, I'm this and nobody knows here cause I'm worried about my job, mm-hmm. which is really sad, mm-hmm. you know, and, um, just trying to be that resource and be something that I didn't necessarily have and hopefully have the others rally around hockey people rally. Yeah. We rally when issues happen. We it's a, it's a good community. I, I, I don't want to say it's a, it's toxic. Yes. in in certain aspects, but it is a, such a strong community. It is tight knit and there are a lot more good people than there are bad. And, and I think they just need to know impact. Like, yeah. but we've seen people around cancer, around humble, yeah. around different yeah. things. People rally. If they realize that these are things to rally around mm-hmm. that they're in, it's impacting their friends, their family members, people on their teams, they're going to, they're going to evolve. Yep. I truly believe that. And they're going to start calling out others who won't. And then the ones who won't evolve become the other. Exactly. As opposed to those who are just trying to exist. Uh, any more uh, sc- uh, kids to talk to today? Yeah, going to a team tonight and then off to Edmonton in the morning. Awesome. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Brock. Uh, Brock McGillis, former professional, uh, professional hockey player. Head of the Culture Shock Tour, doing a lot of good work uh, in our cities around Canada. Uh, check them out. Where can we find people, information on you? Yeah, social media is Brock McGillis33 on all social media handles. And then uh, for the tour, brockmcgillis.com slash tour. There you go. Uh, thank you for uh, for joining us in studio. Dom, thank you so much for, uh, for filming it and everything. So, uh, yes, uh, check it out, Culture Shock Tour. All the info for Brock McGillis, 33. Want to thank all of our guests, Brock McGillis, Jesse Pierce, uh, Charles Davis, Eric Francis, Luke Gazdick. All those hours up, hours one, two, and three already up. Four is going to be up in just a little while. Thank you to GVP for making us sound oh so good. Uh, Jeff Merrick Show is up next. Uh, tonight, 6 o'clock, Flames Talk pregame uh, with Pat Steinberg leading you up into the Flames and the Wild. Derek, Wills, and Corey Sarge on the call a little bit after 7 o'clock. Keep it locked right here. Sportsnet 960 The Fan.